Good afternoon. This is part six of the teaching series that I'm doing in Ephesians. And today we will be uh, looking at uh, chapter uh, two of Ephesians. But before we get into that, I just want to remind everyone as we're going to read this, uh, this the, the, the different areas of the different uh, sections of scriptures in the context of the whole book, especially from what we just read previously, whether it's the previous chapter or the previous in the same chapter, because there's a continuation of a topic. Paul doesn't also start a new chapter like he's written. He's written the letter as one whole letter, not chapter by chapter. We've in modern times have de- de- developed this chapter and verse system to find verses within a, uh, a letter or a book. But here Paul is, this is a continuation of chapter one where Paul was uh, finishing up uh, praying this prayer for the, the church there. And it's a good, as I mentioned last episode, was is a, a good prayer for us to use as a model for praying for ourselves, for praying for our brothers and sisters, for the church at large, the universal church globally. Uh, but it's, it's a prayer that Paul prays for them. And at the end of it, it Paul includes, uh, uh, you know, it's not just praying, he's also talking about explaining a little bit of the power of Christ that's at work uh, within them or within us as believers um, before he moves into this chapter, until we move into this section of chapter 2. Um, so what we do is, I want to do is read um, the last part of that prayer, and then we'll read verse 1 through 10 of chapter 2 as a whole. So we'll read it all together, and we'll start to talk about how there's a flow from that prayer into what Paul, Paul teaches and starts to talk about to explain to them who they were and who they are now in Christ and, and, and by the power of God. Uh, so let's let's um, uh, start in verse 18 of chapter 1, and, and this is going to help us get a, uh, understand a bigger picture of the whole book. It's not just one little clump, you know, chunk of scripture verse that we're looking at. We're seeing this um, the points Paul's making in the context of that bigger, uh, bigger letter, bigger story of what Paul's getting at here. And uh, Paul's prayed, uh, you know, prayed for them to get a spirit of wisdom revelation in verse 17. And says, he says, that you would have the eyes of your heart, in verse 18, I'm sorry, that he, having the eyes of your heart enlightened that you may know what is the hope to which he has called you, what are the riches of his glorious inheritance in saints, and what is the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe according to the working of his great might. That's what Paul was praying for the church as he talked to them about the things, the blessings of God, who they are and God. In Christ and who Christ is and what God God is God's attributes are, he talks about knowing knowing God and knowing now he starts to go into verse nineteen the immeasurable greatness of his power towards us, and it's according to the working of his great might that he worked in Christ. Here he starts to explain what that power is like. It's like that what he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at right hand in the in heavenly places far above all rule authority and power and dominion and above every name that is named not only in this age but also in the one to come. And he put all things under his feet and gave him his head over all things, the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. And you were dead in your trespasses and sins, in which you once walked following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. But God, being rich in his mercy, rich in mercy, because of his great love, which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved, and raised up with him, and seated, and seated us with him in heavenly places in Christ Jesus, so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace in kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. 
For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, and not a result of works, so that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. There's a lot there. We're not going to get through it in one setting for one one podcast or one episode. We're going to have a couple of episodes to go through this chapter, section of chapter 2, verse 1 through 10. But let's get started in this, just to tie in chapter 1, where Paul's uh, drawing attention in his prayer to the power of God that was uh, that's working in them. He's saying this, this is the work, the power that's at work within you. It's just like the power that raised Jesus from the dead. And not only that, but seated him at right hand in heavenly places. And he's placed in place of all authority, over all authority, all the rule, all power and dominion, every name, not only in this age, but in the age to come. And he's given, put all things under his feet and give him his head over all things the church. And so here Paul just draws his attention. He's praying for the power, for them to understand the power at work in him, but then gives him some understanding of what that power is like in, in, um, in uh, what, what changes, what, what, what does that work in then change their life? And it's active not just in the past when the world rose Jesus from the dead. He's trying to say it's active currently, right now. It's residing in you by by the person of the Holy Spirit who's living in us and working in us. And as we move into chapter two here, it's he's gonna talk about the, the power that's at work work in us to bring us from death to life. And it's a continual journey and a process of, of, of the life of Christ becoming more and more evident in our life. But he, he took us from a place of death and, and uh, uh, brought us and gave us life in Christ. So let's look at uh, verse 1, 2, and 3 of chapter 2. Or, uh, start with verse 1. It says, And you were dead in the trespasses and your sins. They were dead, he said, Paul says. Now, Paul doesn't mean they were physically dead. What he's talking about, they were separated from God and from eternal life. They were separated relationally from God, disconnected from Him. They were spiritually and morally dead and, and, and utterly without, uh, unable to meet the requirements of, of God's law. And so and, and there's, there's no two-way communication going on with God. There's no relationship. So this death is spiritual. It's not physical. They, they, were, they were very much alive physically before their salvation. And I mentioned about it's, a, it's, a, it's separated from God and not, not having eternal life. So what's eternal life? Just to, just to add, put this in here as we t- we'll talk about this at different times. This will come up like eternal life. We think it's something like unending life. It's something in the future we're going to have. Well, Jesus says this, tells us in John 17, 3, and he, he says, and he gives, it, gives us a definition of what eternal life is as, as he came to talk about it. It says, and he says, and this is eternal life. This is John seventeen three, and this is eternal life that they may know you, the one, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. That they may know that you and I may know the one true God and Jesus Christ, whom you sent. The word know, there's have a relationship. We'd be, be uh, intimate with him, fellowship with him, know him, and know him, not just know about him, but know him personally and have a relationship. So that's what eternal life is, is, is Christ came to give us eternal life. He came to give us, restore us back, for, for give us forgiveness and, and reconcile us to the Father, restore two-way communication with him and have life. And life starts right now. Eternal life is something we possess now. It's not something he's going to give us sometime in the future. But if we put faith in Him, we know Him, we believe in Christ Jesus, He says we know Him, we have eternal life. 
So he says, he says, you guys were dead. This is like, this is what he's talking about. This is who you were. You were, not now, but you were in the past. You were dead. You were disconnected from God, but you were separated from him. You weren't, you were sport, spiritually and morally dead and un- unable to, 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 to uh, fulfill the law. And so, and then and it's, and he tells them why. It, it was, they were dead in their trespasses and sins. He says it trespasses is is missteps, right? Sins. The word sin means it, it's a acts of, of missing the mark, like you're shooting at a target and you're missing it. And so these these words here, he's saying this is the result. This is what brought 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 about your death. And all of us have trespasses and sin. We've misstepped in our life. We've missed the mark in following what God requires of us. And he and he and the words the, the, the words here are in the plural, so it's not just one moment. Is it? It's a repetition. It's an involvement in an ongoing state of being, being disconnected and living a life that's contrary to the ways of God. And, he, and the, the word is un, unregenerated, meaning they've they've not been born of Christ again, born of, of the Spirit of God, and so they are just disconnected. And um, and in verse. Two says, in, in, he goes, you were dead in your trespasses and sin, verse 1, is in which you walked, once walked. We once walked in those trespasses and sin. What does he mean by walk? The thing is, that word, that word sometimes, not sometimes, many times you see it in the in the scriptures, it means it's it's the way you live your life. So he says, you were dead in the trespasses and sins, and the way you, and that's the way you once lived your life. That's what you once walked like. And so that's what he talks about walking. And he uses that word walk throughout this uh, letter, and it's talking about a lifestyle, a, a, a devotion in your heart and life in living a certain way. And he's talking about you lived according, or we, all of us, lived according to the trespass and uh, sins. We lived in that lifestyle. We were occupied with that. We were, were giving our life to it. That's their former life. So it was uh, ours also. And then he goes on to describe what that walking looked like, starting with following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit is now at work, and the sons of disobedience. Following. Now, that's an interesting word. Who else tells us to follow? What is it? Who's another person we follow? We follow Christ. He says, follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. It's a following after. It's living like a certain uh, the person you're, you're following after. And here he says, following the course of this world. They, they followed the, the lifestyles, uh, the, the cultural norms of their day, and, and they experienced the world's peer pressure just like we do now. Uh, this, this, theirs was a pagan world, a pagan culture, and they were, they were, they were earthbound. They were, they were, they were limited in, in their understanding of, of spiritual things, and they were following the, the prince of the power of air. Of the air, and who is that? Is he following the course, the norms, the cultural norms of the day, and and following the prince of the power of air of the of the air? The prince of the power of the air is Satan. In uh, First John five nineteen talks about we know that we are from God, and the whole world lies in the power of the evil one. In Second Corinthians four four, in their case, the God of this world has blinded the minds of unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel, the glory of Christ. Who is the image of God? And see, so talking about dead in our trespasses and sins, and following the course of the world and the prince of the power of air, we're following his ways, and we're being, uh, we were. I'm not saying we are now. And those that aren't, those are Christians. We we were once this, and the God of this world, the prince of the power of air, is Satan. And those that don't know Jesus are are now held captive by this ruler, and he has a satanic. 
uh, uh, organized system that hates and opposes all that's godly and all those who want to live godly. Now, the spirit that he mentioned goes, is, is, uh, goes on to say in verse 2, and following the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience. The spirit refers to this, this impersonal force which is, which is controlled and directed by Satan. Now, some people think it was, it's a spirit, like a demonic spirit. It could be that, but I think as, as in general, it's some of the spirit, the, the, the whole kind of force, that the, 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 the spiritual, demonically controlled, uh, uh, impersonal force that's at work. And it's principally at work in, on unbelievers. And, and the phrase, sons of disobedience, implies there's this conscious uh, act of uh, rebellion and opposition against God. And then he goes on and talks about the living in verse three. He says, "Among whom we all once, who we all once lived in the passion of our flesh, and, and carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature's children of wrath, like the rest of mankind." And so the passions of the flesh, the cravings of our sinful nature, and we were carrying out the desires of the body. We just fulfilled them. The flesh or the human nature has this has a capability of of, of um, of taking on different shapes and forms that are, 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 are that that make it seem respectable in regards to how we pursue these sinful things, and we want to make it look like we're okay. And the, but the whole person is oriented away from God and towards the, uh, our own personal uh, selfish cravings and desires. And the mind it talks about here, talking about the uh, uh, the desires of the mind, the mind, or, or in some translations, the thoughts is, is is plural. It refers not to the the mind itself, like you know our mind, but to the ideas, the way we think, the 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 the, the, the things we entertain in our mind, the, the calculations we start to shape and form. To, to bring about and try to figure out how to get, get and gain the things we desire. Now, with those that were pagan, this was, which was predominantly what was in the Ephesian church, their reasoning was skewed. See, they, 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 it was based on false beliefs of these, these pagan gods and, and, and justified and directed their, 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 their wills and their actions. And the, and the natural human being without Christ, without Jesus, is is really altogether at the at the mercy of, of the tyrant we call ourselves, and and our own our own impulses, and so we're really enslaved to those things until we come to know Christ in our pursuit of our desires of our body and our our mind and our flesh, and 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 then he goes on to say we're. Uh, the result of all this at the very end of uh, verse 3 is the, the, the byproduct um, uh, by, by, by nature we were children of wrath objects of his wrath disobedience and unbelief lead to, to one thing the wrath of God I know you're hearing this and I even as I'm saying it it's like this is very strong language talking about who we were we were once living in the passion of our flesh, desires our body and the mind, and by nature we were children of wrath like the rest of mankind. But I want you to notice something. Uh, the, the phrase is you were dead, not that you are dead. You were dead. You once walked. You once lived. You were by nature. These are all past tense. Paul's talking about who they were. Let's connect it. Remember what we talked about, the power that was working, that was at work in us, the same power to raise Christ from the dead, seating him in heavenly places, right? Above every name, every power, authority, dominion, 
And, uh, and so here he's connecting this, talking about this is who you were. Christ was dead at one time, but God raised him up. And here the same things is, but we were, we were dead and we were children of wrath, but that's not the entire story. It doesn't end that way. See, Paul is contrasting the wrath of God with the demonstration of God's great grace toward those that do not know him. Those that are lost, those that have no, have not come to know God yet. Now I'm saying it like they and they, but it's us, it's me too. This is who I was. This is who you were if you're a believer in Christ now. And he's talking about this. This was this was uh, what they experienced. Um, they were spiritually and morally dead, not just sick, where they could just nurse themselves back to health. Like they they weren't really that bad off. They were just a little sick. No, Paul says you were dead, dead spiritually and morally, separated from God. He doesn't know you. You don't know him. You're following the prince of the power of air. You're following Satan. You're opposed to God. You're, you're a child of wrath. You're children of wrath. And so he's talking about that's who you were. And you had no capacity to bring recovery to you because you were dead, completely incapable of reviving themselves or ourselves, myself, yourself. We're completely incapable of giving ourselves spiritual life or transforming our inner nature, the near inner person of who we were. They, that Paul, Paul's writing to these Ephesians, they knew who they were. Paul's reminding of them that, of that. And it's a reminder for us, it humbles us to realize where we were at one time before we came to know Christ. But also he's talking about this is who you were. You needed because you were dead. You could not fix yourself. You couldn't put a Band-Aid on it. You couldn't give yourself, um, uh, you know, uh, resuscitation to resuscitate yourself. You were incapable of giving yourself life again because you were dead. So we need a spiritual, I call it a spiritual defibrillator that's applied by someone else who is alive and who would give it to us to bring us back to life. And the only way a spiritual dead person can communicate with God is to be made alive. So we're, we, we cannot even talk to God. We can't ask for help until we're brought back to life. And that must be done by the one who is himself alive. And that's who? God. Jesus, this is, this is how we connect it to the, to the chapter before. We're talking about Jesus was dead, but now he's alive, raised and lifted up to be with, Christ, with God in, in heavenly places above all authority, power, and dominion. This is who who's the one alive. He's the one who gives life to the dead. Uh, Romans 4, uh, 17, it says, As it is written, I have made you the father of many nations in the presence of the, the God in whom you he believed, who gives life to the dead and calls into existence the things that do not exist. This is what Paul's uh, talking about, the, the power at work in us. In chapter 1, as he prays for that, them to understand that, for us to be enlightened to know that, then he starts to explain what the, what the capacity of that, that power is at work, the Spirit of God that rose Christ from the dead and raised them up above all, all dominion, all authority, all power. That one now comes to us when we were dead in a trespass, we were walking and following the course of the world, the, the prince of the power of the air, we, the, the, we were the sons of disobedience, we once were living in the passions of our flesh and we were carrying out desire of our, our body and we were children of wrath. But now something's changed. But God, verse 4 of chapter 2, but God being rich in his mercy 
because of his great love which he loves us even when we were dead in our trespasses made us alive together with Christ by grace you have been saved and raised us up with him and seated us with him in heavenly places in Christ Jesus so here's a there's a connection Paul talks about that prayer talks about the power at work in us it's like the spirit that worked in him and then he talks about verse 1 through 3 in chapter 2 of who we were what the state we were in before God comes to us and by his mercy who was the God who is rich in mercy and with his great love he loved us and when we were dead he made us alive he came to us the only one with the capacity to give us life and he resuscitates us and makes us alive in Christ. So verse 4 says, But God, here, here, Paul here is making this emphasis uh, on it's all about God. He's the subject of this whole section of Scripture right here. He's the focus. And he's setting this contrast between the action of, of sinners, those that are reading the, the, the letter at first to us here a couple thousand years later, we're both, we're, we were we this is this is the actions of of sinners and he contrasts that plight that condition of sinners lives with God's actions towards sinners in the midst of how they were against him now here in verses 4 through um, uh, 10 here Paul mentions a few of God's attributes he mentions mercy in chapter, I mean, verse 4. And he also mentions love in verse 4. And in 5 and 8, he talks about God's grace. So what do these mean? Mercy, grace, and love. What do they mean? And what do they look like? Mercy means uh, compassion. It means having pity. It means undeserved kindness. Not giving someone what they deserve or not giving them the punishment that they deserve. Remember in verse 3, he talks about us being children of wrath. We deserve punishment. But in verse 4, it says, But God being rich in mercy, God acts in mercy on behalf of sinners because of his great love for us. Now, that word love means is, is uh, the Greek word agape. You may have heard it before. It means it's a word we use to love. It, it describes seeking the highest good of, of the person of love. It's even coming to the point of sacrificing one's things that one values for the sake of another to experience blessing. And so that's what he's talking about. Mercy, love, and grace are being shown us who were the children of wrath. We were dead without God. And, and, and sinners... Uh, since sinners are, are, are we are, we're, spi- we're spiritually dead toward God, we have nothing that's going to commend us to God, to get God to do something for us. And this is why Paul is talking about this great love for us. See, God's love moved him to act in mercy and grace towards us. Now, grace means a gift. It means uh, uh, being charitable. It means being benevolent. It's a favor being shown someone that doesn't doesn't merit any, merit any reason to be shown that. It's a uh, it's another uh, the way of looking at it. it's also a divine influence or endowment upon the heart that's seen in a, in the action and reflection in one's life after that influence. It's seen in God giving people what they do not deserve. And here he's talking about giving them mercy, giving them life. And so there's this contrast between by grace in verse 5 and 8. He says, by grace you have been saved. And it says in verse 8, by grace you have been saved through faith. 
in that phrase, by grace, that he says in verse 5 and 8, it's really a contrast to what Paul says in verse 3. He says that by nature we were children of wrath. And so God's grace, his mercy, and his love has done something, some things for us. And uh, when, when we were dead we were, uh, and we were children of wrath, he made his life together with Christ and saved us. He raised us up with Christ in verse 6. And he seated us with him in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. These are things he did by grace. This is who we were by nature. But God, in his nature, by grace, he made us alive, seated us with heavenly, in, I mean, seated us with Christ in heavenly places. So when we were separated from God, dead in our sins and trespasses, he made us life. He acted when we could not act and give ourselves spiritual life. He acted on our behalf and made us alive with Christ. See, by grace you have been saved. This, this phrase there, have been saved, is a, per, is a perfect tense which expresses a present perfect state as a result of something that happened in the past. Because believers, we as followers of Christ, have been made alive spiritually Christ that they or we have been and are saved. It's presently a permanent state we have because of a past action, not on our part, but on what Christ did and what God the Father did because of what Christ did on the cross. So the question some ask is, does that mean our salvation is complete? No, it doesn't. It doesn't mean that our salvation is already complete, but that our complete salvation has already been assured and it's revealed in Christ. And right now it's underway in us. There's this transformation. See, our salvation, it's our complete salvation, it's already assured in Christ. We're going to be saved. We are saved. And we've truly begun this experience, this process of transformation from, from, from the realm of death and, and, and following the course of this world and the prince of the power. There. It's not instant, automatically we stop doing those things. It's, the rest of our life we are going to deal with sinning still. But it's not something we pursue and desire, but we will fall into it. So our, our salvation is not complete yet in us. But it's, it's in process, and God is bringing us to a place that we, we will move from death to resurrection and life. And we've already begun to participate in as, aspects of that new creation life and our present relationship with Jesus and with the Father. And look at Let's finish with verse 6 where Paul says, uh, You've been raised up with him, with Jesus, and seated with Jesus in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. This, is, this talks of them and us being positionally resurrected with Christ already. For Christ, who is already resurrected, this was new, uh, powerful. He, he'd been raised from the dead to life eternal, not ever to die again. It's unique. It's never been done before. So also for us as Christians, who, who uh, Christ lives in us by the Spirit of God, we have a new powerful, unique life and position right now. We were dead spiritually, morally. Now we've been made alive together in Christ. He, he, by, by grace, we've been saved. Not only that, we've been raised up with him. So here is, we have this unique, powerful, new life because of Christ who died and now lives in us. Now, they were, and we are, we're no longer, we have to understand, we're no longer mere earthlings. 
we have Christ. We have the Holy Spirit living in us. And we've been raised up spiritually. We are positioned with Christ in heavenly place above all power, rule, and authority, and dominion. Philippians 3.20 says, But our citizenship is in heaven, and from it we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. Theirs and ours, our citizenship is in heaven. Yes, we live here on earth. We're part of America. That's me. I am. Where am I? Wherever you're at. But really, we are citizens of heaven above all things. And Jesus is the exalted Son of God, and they and we are exalted sons and daughters to sit alongside with Christ. Colossians 3, 1-2 If then you have been raised with Christ and seek the things that are above, where Christ is seated at the right hand of God, set your mind on things that are above, not on things that are on earth. We should have a new worldview, a new set of values uh, that is based on our new citizenship in heaven and where we are seated with Christ. This is in stark contrast of who we were when he talks about being dead in our sins, being walking after the course of this world, following the prince of the power where uh, are being sons of disobedience, giving ourselves over to our passions, our flesh and desires, our body and mind. Those are the things of who we were. But now we are citizens of heaven. We've been raised up with Christ. So if that's the case, as exalted sons and daughters of God, not that people are going to worship us, but we are part, we are with him, exalted, and raised up with him. And says, so seek things above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind. Set your thinking. We talked about mind saying before in verse 3, he talked about, you know, you once lived in um, carrying out desires of your body and your mind. And he really was talking about the worldview, the concepts, the, the belief systems and values they had before Christ. He goes, now in Christ, <clears throat> set your mind on things above. Not things on earth, not worldly things, not the values of the world, not the the mindsets of the world, ways of thinking, but the kingdom perspective on things and live life in light of that. And he's talking about back to the prayer that we close this out. Back to the prayer. Talks about praying that you be enlightened. You know the power that's at work in you. That bring the same power that raised Christ from the dead. Now that you were dead and you once walked this way and you lived this way. You were that. But God, rich in mercy, uh, because of his great love, he loved us and he, he saved us. When we were dead and trusting, he made us alive together with Christ, seed us with him, and you've been saved by grace. He's talking about now your whole life has changed. You're a new creation in Christ. And so I would encourage you. This is a, Paul in, uh, starts this letter talking about the goodness of God in chapter 1 and who they are, blessed in God with, with every heavenly blessing there is. And then he talks about Christ, the power of God that's working Christ is working us. And talking about that same power that raised Christ, that raised us from being spiritually, giving us life in Christ and seating us with him in, in heavenly places. This is something for us to contemplate and understand who we were, who we really are, not who we are, are were. This should humble us. This happens not because we're we've done something to earn this from God. It's something that comes as a gift to us from God. It's part of His grace that He pours over us and gives us life. It humbles us, appreciates us, appreciates Him, uh, grateful for all He's done in us. 
from who we were and think of our past life, who we were and who we are now, and what, what the work of the Spirit has done us, it should cause a, a, a level of gratitude that overflows from our heart for what God has done for us. And I encourage you to reread chapters 1 and 2, what we, parts I've just talked about. And we're going to pick up next week, next episode, on uh, the second half of probably verse 5 or 6 through, through 10 to finish up this section. So between now and then, we pr- I pray that you would come to know the immeasurable power that's at work in you, the same power that raised Christ from the dead, now raised you from the dead, and it causes you to see, be seated with him. So set your mind on things above. Be encouraged this week. God bless.